I am Ben Doc Askins, the psychedelic science war storyteller, and this is the Anti-Hero's Journey Podcast. Hey everybody, Doc here. If you're enjoying the podcast and you want it to be possible for me to continue to make it, then I'm going to need you to go to my store at antiheroesjourney.com and buy my audiobook and my ebook in one of the many translations available, or go to shop and pick out some of my stuff t shirts and hats and pet bandanas and bikinis and scented candles and all sorts of nonsense, all the things you could ever want and never need. And get 10% off with the code, all caps, FRIEND10. Go to antiheroesjourney.com and use the code, all caps, FRIEND10 to get 10% off anything that you could ever want there. I appreciate your support. Thank you. I love you. Goodbye. What's up, all you anti-heroes out there? Doc Askins coming at you with another one of these Q5 podcasts where I ask my five favorite questions in my own ketamine-assisted psychotherapy practice to some of the people out there that I think are cool. And the cool person that I got on the podcast today is a pioneer in the cannabis and psychedelics industry. Ronan Levy has inspired millions of people to find healing and inspiration through elevated states of consciousness, having co-founded Field Trip Health Limited, which was the world's largest provider of psychedelic therapies. He continues his work in well-being and consciousness as a co-founder of the Non-Ordinary Therapy Company Limited and on his podcast, How We Evolve. Ronan, it's a pleasure having you on the podcast today, my friend. Thanks for having me. I'm I'm glad we finally made it happen. Yeah. It's taken a few attempts to make this go. <laughs> yeah, we're uh, we're busy guys, and that's just the way that it is. But here we are, synchronized for a few minutes, and I hope everybody enjoys the conversation. Let's get rocking and rolling. Question number one: What's your story? It's a good question. It's a question that I think I evaluate every single day. It's been a subject of conversation, actually, that I'm actually documenting through my podcast in, in many ways. After field trip, filed for creditor protection. You know, it really threw me for a loop of who I am, what am I doing, what do I value, what is success, all of those kinds of things. And I don't have a good answer, but I will try to answer it as best I can, which is, what is my story? I think my story is a story of a person who's always done things that people say you can't do. I can't remember if it's Mark Twain or someone along those lines, but I remember it. He said, the greatest pleasure in life is doing things people say you can't do. And that's certainly something I've taken heart of. And I, I was thinking about it as I was driving on my way this morning. One of the first memories I have of like, just like openly, not in defiance, just accepting the challenge. I was, I don't know, seven years old and I was at camp my brother and at this camp back in the day when you could actually make kids run hard and, and like just force them to exert themselves beyond their capability we had to go for runs and so i was in the youngest category and so i started at like the junior run and then there's bronze and then silver and then gold and superstar uh, and my brother who was older started at bronze just because he was older 
so he ran bronze and I think he made it to silver. I ran the junior, made it to bronze. He's like, you'll, you'll never make it to silver. It's too tough. So I made it to silver. Uh, it's like, you'll never make it to gold. It's way too hard. You're not good enough. And so I made it to gold. And then he's like, there's no way you're going to make it to superstar. And it took me a few attempts, admittedly, but I eventually made it to the superstar level. And I think maybe that was one of my first flavors of being like, oh, I love being defied. And I think most of my life has really just been an effort, largely self-consciously, of trying to punch above my weight. You know, one of the things I've realized, it actually came out of a very powerful journey with psilocybin one day uh, and then san pedro a couple of days later that i've always realized i've always felt small i've always felt like i had to fight above my wave class to try harder prove people wrong it's just been ingrained into my dna somehow and so if i look at my professional career it largely followed that i was on the path for a long time like i did well in high school went to university got a business degree went straight to law school i was like let's just get it done. I want to have a good career. I want to make money. And and that was it. And then I got to the end of, uh, actually, no, my first day of law school, I showed up and I looked around and I'm like, oh shit, these are not my people. Right. (laughs) Uh, I realized that I I have wonderful friends from law school, but I realized that I spent my life breaking rules and challenging convention and doing, you know, not overt rebellion, but always like questioning those things and being like, why are things this way? Like, I don't, I don't want to do it. Way can we do it a different way? And I realized at law school, that's not the the group of people that you uh, surround yourself with. And I think my professional career has kind of tracked that. Yes, I did become a practicing lawyer, and I hated it. And I think probably the most satisfying day of my professional career as a lawyer was the day I. Had we were trying to raise money for the United Way, and I sent an advertisement for a fundraiser to the entire law firm. I worked at a firm called Blake Castles Engraving, which is one of the biggest in Canada, one of the most respected, equivalent of like a Wall Street firm. And it was a very simple ad that said, article, we were in a competition with the first-year associates. I was an Articling student. It said, first-year associates are dull. Don't let your shoes be articling student shoe shine and we're going around and shining everybody's shoes <laughs> and it was like lawyers had never seen a single creative advertisement in their lives because like <laughs> probably got 50 or 60 emails back saying like are you too creative to be a lawyer like, <laughs> it's just shoe shine <laughs> It's just a shoe shot. It's like I just, I just, I just poked, I just poked, I poked our first year associates a little bit, kind of shoved them under the bus, and and anyway, that was the kind of moment I realized that I had to change paths. And so, from there, I did some work with a pharma company, which I just took the job because I needed to get out of the law firm I was at. Then I worked at CTV uh, and MTV Canada, which was super cool because throughout my high school years, I always wanted to be a rock star and terribly inept at almost all things musical. So working at MTV Canada, at least getting to brush up against some rock stars was kind of fun. Wow. And then, <laughs> and then I discovered cannabis, not from a personal use perspective, but from an opportunity perspective. And philosophically, I've always been a person who never had issues with people doing drugs if they wanted to. I wasn't really interested in for myself, but I thought the whole war on drugs thing was a stupid idea from the get-go. And so as soon as we saw that opportunity, I heard about that opportunity. I'm like, guys, we've got to do this. It was with my business partners in the last business and then ultimately field trip. And I'm like, a cannabis, we can't do that. It's so shady. Why would we want to get into that business? And I'm like, guys, this is the world's greatest opportunity. A business where there's product market fit. We know there's tons of demand for it. It goes from illegal to legal overnight. Of course we can do it. 
And so that got us on the cannabis train. And, and through that, we discovered psychedelics and the exact same response, which is like, you can't do that. There's no business in psychedelics. It's not legal. I'm like, fuck it. We got to try and find out. And so we did. And anyway, I'm, I'm rambling now about all the different ways that I feel like I've done what people say you can't do. And, and I keep at it. <laughs> no, that's an awesome story, man. I want to like double click on like each one of those sorts of things that you mentioned there, you know, like in basic training and combat medic school, they have run groups. You get broken up by like how fast or how slow you are. Right. And everybody, yeah. everybody wants to get into alpha, the A train. You want to be in the fast group. Cause then you're done sooner. Like you get to go like right. take a shower first. That was the only reason that I got into a train was cause I wanted to get a hot shower. It's like, you know, <laughs> and I'm old enough to remember when we used to shine boots in the military with, you know, shine <laughs> stuff, Kiwi, all of that. It's just a lot of hours spent doing that crap. But, uh, yeah, what an awesome story, man. Like rock stars in MTV Canada. Like I want to hear more about about that can you tell me like a story about some of that would you be willing yeah I, I don't have any terribly salacious stories but one of my favorite stories was i was walking into the office and uh someone was backing up in front of me and bumped into me and massive guy uh, and it turned out to be gene simmons uh, from <laughs> kiss and he's like oh i'm very sorry and i'm like you're gene simmons that's quite all right so i kept walking in that's really but, cool. Uh, he was yeah. he was a really great guy. I got to hang out with the guys from Sum Forty One, a great Canadian nice. punk band. Yeah, at the much music video awards back in the, the back in the day. Did they do the drummer from Def Leppard's Only Got One Arm? Was that Sum Forty One? I don't know. I didn't keep track of them. I do like <laughs> all I remember is like Derek Wibley and uh, yes. Avril Lavigne. I'm pretty sure that's them. A couple. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, nice. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Sweet. Cool. I'm sure you got a million stories. Like we could double click on a whole bunch of stuff, but I want to keep the podcast rolling. So we'll move on to sure. question number two, right? I ask about what's your story to hear about people's memories and about where they're coming from. And then the second question is, what are your intentions? So it's looking at imagination and about the future and where you're headed. So transitioning, looking back to looking forward, what are your intentions, Ronan? Yeah, also a question I thought about on the drive up. And, um, you know, I think what what motivates my desire to do things that people say you can't do fundamentally is to breed more compassion in the world. Because a lot of the you can't do that is rooted in judgment, right? It's It's rooted in belief systems that may or may not have merit, but always invite questioning because people who have different perspectives have different perspectives and that should be perfectly okay. And if we can breed more compassion, a little bit more understanding in the world, you know, whether, you know, part of my motivation with the cannabis industry and, and the psychedelics industry was because these, these compounds open you up to different worldviews, right. And, and, it, and it's beautiful and it's powerful and, and you get wonderful insights but in part, it's because it helps you show some understanding. You know, for the last 70 years, we've had this war on drugs where all of these things were terrible and, and drug users were terrible people. It's like, well, maybe we need to take a second to say, like, maybe they're not terrible people. Maybe they're just suffering. Maybe they just got raised with different perspectives. You know, it's all of that kind of stuff. So every time I'm kind of pushing those boundaries, it's like, hey, just take a second and, and maybe have some compassion for a different perspective because there's someone out there who's holding on to something that you don't have. Maybe you don't want. That's entirely fair, but they have it. Maybe they're born with it. Maybe they got stuck with it. Maybe they chose it. We don't know. But just give some space for that. And 
And so that's my intention. You know, let's let's create a world of a lot more understanding, a lot more compassion, a lot more fluidity, a lot more of like, hey, whatever you're doing is cool, and I'm going to support you. And if I feel like you're wading off into dangerous waters, then I'll say so. But I'm going to respect the fact that you're an autonomous individual who can make their own decisions, and I'm just here to catch you if you fall. That is is my intention. So uh, uh, an intention surrounding compassion. I really like that a lot. Are there are there ways that you stay in tune with compassion yourself when you're interacting with people that you don't normally interact with? Like, I don't know, a way to stay connected to that compassion given the, the nexus point at which you're at in a whole bunch of your, you know, professional life. That would seem difficult to me. I mean, it's it's the old adage. It's just like put yourself in someone else's shoes, right? I think I'm. Ju- I was just innately born with it, or through like some of the shit I had to go through growing up, you know, with a, a pretty acrimonious divorce, all sorts of personal insecurity with kidnappings and all that kind of stuff. You know, I just learned to be like, I, I don't know what you're going through, and you got an interesting story, and and, and maybe maybe it's just built in my inherent self-depreciation being like whoever you are you probably do a whole lot of things better than i do so who am i to hold any judgment on you and maybe i do some things better than you but it's it's equal you know in the grand scheme of things whatever we're doing we all gotta respect each other and and so it's a lot i don't know it's always been easy for me to hold space for people and just be like hey that's cool whatever you need right now I, i got you nice i like that they used to call it, I think, compassionate capitalism was a particular way of, uh, you know, handling business. I think now it's called effective altruism. Have you heard of that whole movement? I've, I've used the word uh, conscious capitalism. Okay, sure. I, you know, I, I, I definitely recognize the, as with anything, I think everything can be taken to its extreme and a good thing can become bad. <laughs> and certainly yeah. capitalism it's done some wonderful things and it's done some terrible things. And so as long as we approach it, recognizing, cause I, I believe I'm, I'm a capitalist per se, because I believe in everyone should have the autonomy to make some decisions. And that I remember, I remember the exact moment where I started to question a lot of left leaning political ideology, which is like, I still believe in the importance of a social safety net and all that kind of stuff. But I remember cause I'm, I'm Canadian and I just remember having this moment and being like, Justin Trudeau, I don't know, he's four or five years older than I am. And I'm like, what the fuck does he know about how I should live my life? Like, he's just figuring it out on his own. So who is he to make decisions about how I should live my life if he doesn't really know how to live his life either? That doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. And so, again, it's like, I actually like Justin Trudeau. A lot of people hate him, but I kind of genuinely like him. But I just realized that like other people are not equipped to make decisions for other people because they can't really be making decisions for themselves on a fully coherent, thought out basis. So let's have a little bit more respect for people to make individual choices and just do our best to to make sure that people have access to education and, and information so they can make the best decisions they can. Nice. I like that a lot. Strategic Navigators reduced my income tax bill by over 50%. These guys save entrepreneurs anywhere from 40 to 60% on their income taxes. Click the link in the description to schedule a call and see what these guys can do for you. If you enjoy paying as much as possible in taxes, then just ignore everything I just said. 
the inspiration for the effective altruism movement. I forget the guy's name, but he was a real interesting character from history who figured out a way to make a ton of money and figured out like what amount he needed. And that was all that he lived off of. And he gave everything else away. And he actually did the math on how badly do I need two kidneys and wound up just walking into a hospital and donating one kidney because somebody else needed it more than him. He was like that level of committed to his philosophy. He put some skin in the game, some literal organic skin. <laughs> but it's just crazy stories around some of the, like you said, you know, like capitalism does, you know, some good things and some negative things. And it made me think of that story at least of like, yeah, you can take anything too far, even a, a good idea, right? Like, I don't know that I'd go quite so far as to just donate a kidney out of principle, but it's a, uh, it's an interesting story nonetheless. Yeah. Totally. You know, I think, like the, I think the extreme edge of altruism is martyrdom, right? And I'm certainly a martyr. I play the martyr a lot of times. And as one of my teachers like to say, the thing about martyrs is that they always get killed, right? Like they always get sacrificed. <laughs> That's the nature of a martyr. They always have an exit plan. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, you know, it's like if altruism makes you feel good, and it's not making you feel good in terms of like appealing to the ego of being like, oh, look how wonderful I am. But like genuinely gets you up and revs you up in the morning. Awesome. But as soon as it tips over to I'm now suffering for your benefit or, you know, it's just a pure ego play, a veiled ego play. That's when, I, you know, you got to be careful about where you're treading. But otherwise, like I said, with capitalism, conscious capitalism, effective altruism, it's like there's a great way to elevate a whole bunch of people as, as long as it's done with you know, good intentions and recognition for all the stakeholders of which the planets and communities and governments are, are kept in mind. Yeah. I think that's well said. Uh, and I think it's an opportunity to transition to the third question. I like to use uh, gratefulness as the way to bridge the gap between memory and imagination and bring us into the present moment. Cause I think gratefulness is kind of like an underestimated superpower. So I just ask people, what are you grateful for? You know, this morning, I'll just go with the real time. It's, I woke up and, and my youngest, Cohen, who's four years old, was in her bed. And uh, my wife got up to go to Pilates in the morning and, and Cohen just curled up and fell asleep kind of on my chest. And it was just a beautiful moment. It was really, really like, this is exactly, exactly what it's for. And, you know, obviously, parents love their kids, but I don't necessarily know we have enough gratitude for our kids. It's like... Every once in a while, I, I really let it land about like, man, they didn't, depending on your philosophical and spiritual beliefs, but let's go with just a little bit more functional. They didn't choose to be here and they get whatever you give them and they have to take it. And that like really makes me stop and think about like, that's true about everybody on the planet to, to some degree. And, you know, he sits there and he takes whatever I give him. And certainly I try to be a good dad. And he loves me and it curls up. It's like, if that doesn't breed gratitude, you know, I, I don't know what does. And then, you know, afterwards I, I, I worked out this morning and felt good. You know, I felt like I had energy. I wasn't tired. I have, I've been sleeping really poorly for the last couple of months and I slept pretty well last night. And so I have a lot of gratitude for that feeling of like, oh, this is what it feels like to have a body that's, that's appropriately well rested and, and, and is moving. And it gave me a lot of gratitude just for th this physical presence. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I like that a lot. Gratitude for your kids. Gratitude for a good night's sleep. Gratitude right in the present moment. That's beautiful. So with all of your story and all of your intentions and all of your gratitude, what are you creating? 
Ooh, that's something I don't know how to answer. What am I creating right now? You know, I'm creating, I think I'm creating space right now. I'm trying to create some space to, as mentioned, field trip filed for creditor protection just over six months ago. Uh, it's been a time of a lot of turnover. I won't say turmoil. There's been some turmoil, but turnover. And it's really created a lot of space for me to think about like, what am I doing? You know, what matters to me? You know, uh, fortunately, I'm, uh, I have enough resources that I didn't need to go back to work immediately without problem. Now I'm doing some work again, but what I'm creating right now is still more space to be like, where do I really want to be spending my time? What matters to me? So that's it, creating space and, and, and still creating the work of trying to breed more, more compassion through, you know, challenging assumptions. You know, the consulting work I'm doing right now is for a company called Safe Supply, and whose whole thesis is like, we need to bring up into the war on drugs. It's like cannabis is great, psychedelics are great, but we got to do everything, right? This whole, whole policy infrastructure just doesn't work. Cocaine, psychedelics, cannabis, all drug use is at all times highs, despite spending trillions of dollars on a war on drugs. And a lot of people would say like, that's crazy. You're not going to win that battle. But I think I think you're right. Probably we individually won't, but someone needs to step up. You know, the, the uh, great quote from Jerry Garcia: "Someone's got to do something." And so the people who are putting their hands up to say, "I'm willing to do something," it's like I have a lot of respect for that. And so I'm happy to support these guys in doing their work. Coincidentally, today is actually the first day of trading on the Canadian Securities Exchange for for Safe Supply. So everyone can kind of be a part of the story if they're interested in investing. But that's it's one of the ways I'm I'm continuing to create that compassion and still like just pushing back against all those things that people say. Nice. Yeah. Creating space, it sounds like, in your own life and then working with some partners to create some space in the world where maybe we can have a little less war. That's exactly right. What a great thing that would be. Yeah. I'd like that a lot. Which brings us around, though, to our fifth and final question. Who are you really, Ronan Levy? <laughs> Who am I really? I, I think I, I think I present a, a really a fairly sincere perspective of who I am. But who am I really? I'm a pretty quiet guy. You know, I keep to myself. I love spending time with my kids. I like stirring shit up. Um, <laughs> and uh, and I'm a guy who is still figuring it out. You know, a, a friend of mine. I spent a semester in Australia in law school and a couple of years ago when field trip was kind of at its zenith and, and, and really taken off. He's like, he's like, I really look up to you. And I'm like, me? <laughs> why, why, why do you look up to me? Yeah. And like, I, I was honestly dumbfounded being like, yeah, I've done some fun stuff, but like, I, I by no means have any, I, 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 I know enough to know that I, I don't have it figured out and that I wouldn't necessarily hold myself as an example for anyone. I'm certainly happy to share the benefit of my experiences, but I don't necessarily think that they're appropriate for anybody else. But if you can learn something, if something lands or resonates with you, then I think that's awesome. But I don't know that I should be held up as a role model for, for anyone. Um, that's for sure. Yeah. I'm no hero either, so I hear you. You're an anti-hero. It's a perfect <laughs> podcast. I actually love the title of the podcast for that exact reason. Yeah, yeah. Yep. It's a loaded 
title for sure, right? It is. Yeah, it yeah. is. Nice. It, it, it's uh, when, when I when I when you first reached out and I was looking at what it was called, I'm like, Fuck, that's a great name. I wish I had thought of that. <laughs> Yeah, I was pretty happy when I did like the search to see if anybody had the company or the brand already. You know, like I was like, ah, oh, crap, somebody's got to have come up with this already. No, I'm, I'm, I'm him. I'm the antihero. Yes. Anyway, <laughs> can, can can I ask what inspired that? Where where was that kernel of inspiration? Being like, yes, that's it. You know, it's something that I feel like I always knew at some level, and it took. 42 years to kind of unblock and figure out that that was what was true. I chased the hero's journey ideal for a really long time, you know, being a captain of all the sports teams and, you know, leading the way in the military and in, you know, a whole bunch of my whole story. Like, you know, I won't bore everybody with it. Like I wrote a whole book about it. You can go read the book or you can buy the audio book and listen to me, read it to you like a bedtime story or whatever. It's all on my website there. But I, I chased that hero identity real, real hard for a real long time and then figured out that life's a lot more complicated than this simple either or way of thinking about. And then the hero always entails a villain, right? Like you have to have a shadow projected out onto the world in a way that's damaging. And, you know, like, like none of the identities are simple enough, right? Like Monday, you could look like a hero to somebody who looks up to you. And then Tuesday, you might look like a real piece of shit and be a villain. And, you know, you didn't sleep well and you're cutting people off in traffic or whatever. And Wednesday, you might just look like a bystander. And Thursday, you might look like absolutely nobody. And Friday, you might be a victim of some villain out there or whatever. Like life's just a lot more complicated than the hero's journey. As much as I love the hero's journey, I think it's a children's story and we should grow up collectively and move on from the hero's journey to the anti-hero's journey is what I think is the next stage of human consciousness evolution. However, that's still derivative, right? It's the anti-hero's journey. My hope is that will move past the hero's journey and blow through the anti-hero's journey straight to just calling it the journey and that will raise our kids in a way that doesn't put a whole bunch of bullshit on them and just does a whole lot more listening and has a whole lot more compassion and stays a lot more in the present moment and all of the things that we were already discussing. So I don't know that you need to read the book. You can if you want to, but it sounds like you're kind of tracking with it anyway, right? No, it, it, it totally speaks to me. It's like, you know, there's thesis anti-thesis synthesis synthesis, right right? exactly yeah and and you're kind of you're kind of like the dialecticism is what it's called right and then in the nerd population that i hang out with from time to time hegelian dialecticism (laughs) that's exactly right taking me back to my first year of uh, criminal law in law school and yeah it's like yeah it's uh i I definitely I, i think that's probably apparent but i definitely subscribe to the need for a little bit of anti heroism heroics anti-heroics um <laughs> yeah. in this world and then coming to like a place of being like oh you know everybody's uh, tom, i don't know if you've read any tom robbins if you haven't read any tom robbins not tony robbins tom robbins <laughs> doesn't it doesn't ring a bell that. but i'll look them up yeah okay yeah still life with woodpecker and jitterbug perfume are two of my favorite books and, and there's this great line uh which is where we are our own princesses and our own dragons we have to rescue ourselves from ourselves. And I, yeah, yeah. I think that's where we've got to get to. Uh, there's a quote on uh, the 13 Hours movie where one of the, the fellas there, one of the guys from The Office, I forget the actor's name, 
says, uh, you know, all the heroes, all the villains, all the heavens, all the hells, all the gods, all the demons exist inside of you is just this quote from Joseph Campbell, of course. And the other guy goes, I'm gonna have to think about that one. And then, you know, <laughs> they go out and have a firefight for the rest of the movie. But I remember <laughs> like it's the same sort of idea. It sounds like, yeah, exactly. That's awesome. Nice. Well, you got any final thoughts for our audience? No, this has been a great conversation. I appreciate the work you're doing. I've, I've very much enjoyed this conversation. And though I've never been to Louisville, Kentucky, uh, I will be sure to look you up if I'm ever heading down that way. And if you're ever coming up Toronto way, please do the same. Yeah, absolutely. Doc out.